There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to the family with Hackmaster, Rob Toy Basher, MT, Andy Brand Bernard, and Melissa Bernard. We'll be right back. Catherine will be here too. She's bringing Judy to the groomer, so she'll be in. We shall be right back, ladies and gentlemen, with the family. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? Oh, the latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us. We talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful. No question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer. For <laughs> he just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer's rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24-hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer and get Walzer Care for free. We're rocking out, man. That's all I have to say to you. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you know how all these people now, like the politicians, are so filthy. All they care about is money, and they don't care how many people kill one another as long as they're making money. You know, yep. causing strife and hatred in America by their lame-ass comments. Well, let me tell you what money will do for you. Steve Bing is a billionaire. Film bankroller, writer, philanthropist Steve Bing jumped out a 27-story window uh, yesterday. Yesterday afternoon, jumped out 27-story window, fell to his death. Uh, and they report in the uh, news that it is not a definitive link to suicide. <laughs> <laughs> what else could it be? 
Well, Nobody was there to throw them out the window. Oh, who knows? Who knows? It, 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 the whole thing is kind of nutty. That's uh, Dave Chappelle's most recent uh, special. He started out by talking about a buddy of his who became a lawyer, you know, from the ghetto, or, mm-hmm. you know, from the means, uh, small means. Yeah, became a lawyer, uh, didn't work out, ended up managing a Denny's. He says, that guy should be depressed. That guy <laughs> should be depressed because he did, did all this and it didn't work out. And then there's Anthony Bourdain. Worldwide right. celebrity Killed with all the money. Too, yeah. says, this, what, what, what do you need? What do you really need? I'm like, Poor guy. He's a billionaire. Don't you think he could have afforded a round-the-clock therapist? Oh, my God. He had a real estate developer grandfather. When Bing was 16, he had, when his grandfather died, he inherited money. <clears throat> 16 years old, he was worth $600 million. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. That's pretty nice. So apparently money's not the answer, I guess, is what I'm saying to you, that you want to talk about how much money you got, and money, 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 and all you care about is money. Ralph just named a couple guys. We named Steve Bing. Three people. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars, and they all killed themselves. Yeah. Well, you, you it, make, it just simply doesn't seem to make any sense. No. I think that... It's it's hard it's hard to comprehend you know your comprehension if you you're born with money or born into money and you realize at age four you never have to work a day in your life you lose that idea of the compensation of productivity and being productive. My cousin Billy Down syndrome, his whole life's about being productive, has three jobs, so it it just makes no sense. You have to accept the fact that being productive and making things or doing something is really is a, a real joy gives yes. you joy in your life. Well, here you go. Um, Terry McAuliffe has relayed the story showing up in 2000 to billionaire Ronald Burkle's house to seek donors for the party's summer convention, and Bing was there. He was wearing ripped-up old jeans and a T-shirt with holes in it and wrote him a check for $10 million. Mm. <laughs> okay. Just, there you go. $10 million bucks. It's just a whole thing. I mean, obviously, we we're saddened by the fact that someone— It's terrible. Is so depressed and sad that he jumps out of twenty. Now that's self punishment too. What is he punishing? So you don't jump out a twenty seven story window unless you want to punish yourself, don't you think? That's right. Oh, so what? Did, what about himself did he hate so much? You know, and and why don't it just? It's so interesting. Is that when you when you have that problem, you have that severe depression problem that you can't be self aware enough to realize, hey, I got to get some help here. This isn't right. Yeah, yeah I'm exactly. messed up. Now, listen, I'll be like a normal human being and just tell you, if I find out he left me $100 million, I'll go, gee, I understand why he killed himself. <laughs> oh, right. No problem. Yeah, it couldn't have been suicide. No, it's not suicide. I'm sure he just, uh, um, something. Well, he had yeah. at least two illegitimate, Ill- illegitimate children. So Is so that what? even a thing anymore, illegitimate yeah, children? for real. Well, who cares? I know. I mean, well, that's, you know, uh, 102, 300 years ago, that was a that was a stress. That was that might have been an embarrassment. Well, even if you, if you had money, or you were in royalty. It wasn't an embarrassment. You have have illegitimate children all the time. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. How'd you like to grow up being called illegitimate? However, <laughs> that'd be a little hard to swallow. Wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, you're illegitimate. Who cares what you think? You'd get well, you'd... when you're Mister, you know, Mister Progressive. Everyone matters. You know. Yeah, that's I'm, true. I'm the most empathetic person in the world, and then you father two children and run away. Yep. Well, but maybe that says something about you. But maybe that's the way it is. That's the way. That's a part of being being that thought process that you can just you don't have to have those social commitments. Yeah, no. It takes a village to raise a child because there's no family. Mm. 
Yep, Damian Hurley. Uh, he had uh, a son with uh, Elizabeth Hurley, who's who's not unattractive. No. And easy he, on the eyes. Easy on the eyes. He had 21-year-old Kira Bonder with ex-tennis pro Lisa Bonder. I don't know who that is. But uh, I, the reason, obviously, you, you read this, because he's only 55 years old. He's dead. I had everything going in the world. Everybody, you know, he hung out with all the big shots and had all kinds of money. Handsome guy. Married to a beautiful woman. or really, I don't think he's ever married, but he and Elizabeth Hurley were nope. together. I don't know Lisa Bonder. But uh, this is a guy who had everything. Lived the Hollywood lifestyle, all his buddies, and still, he didn't didn't want to live anymore. So be careful how much money you're you're going after. And this guy didn't uh, you know work hard to get there. He got the six hundred million from his grandfather. Do you think that affects you psychologically as well? Absolutely. I'm sure. Absolutely. The idea of realizing you never have to work that that's the thing is that you you're not productive, and that's if you don't have that joy in your life, and it's a real joy. It's a hollow life. You're searching all, you know, raison d'etre. There's no reason for being. Right. Is that you're out there, you have a bunch of kids, you know, you do drugs, you travel, you marry a bunch of times, you buy a bunch of stuff, but it's still a hollowness. There's nothing in your life that's real. And that, you know, it's yep. just horrible. And that's what happens. I mean, he instead of giving, wasting his money by giving it to politicians who are just filthy pigs and greedy as hell, and then say things that cause people to shoot one another. Things like, oh, they hate you because of your skin color. Whether it's black, white, whatever, they hate you because of your skin color. You know, it gets a little... You should have used that money, uh, Mr. Bing, to help people who really needed help, and you would have felt a lot better about yourself. There you go. That's you true. Know? That's and maybe true. he did. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he did. And maybe he did. Maybe he gave directly to a bunch of charities. I hope You would hope so. Uh, Poor guy. That's it's just so sad they don't get help. That's a thing that really floors me. They just don't get the help that they can use. No, they don't. It's it's a very very sad story. To brighten the moment a little bit, you know what the number one? You know, there are two hundred and thirty theaters open in America. Two hundred and thirty of them, right? What's the number one movie at the box office right now? I can give you a clue. Wouldn't even be able to guess. Uh, it first came out in 1993, and it's number one at the box office again this week. Mm. What would it be? What kind of movie would it be? Pandemic? One of those no, things? No, 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 nothing like that. It is a, um, it's not really, it's not a superhero movie, but it's one of those kind of deals. Number one movie, ladies and gentlemen, uh, last week in America was Jurassic Park. Oh. That's weird. So people just want some fantasy to watch because mm. they don't want to deal with real life. They roll, man. Why, what made them pick that to roll? I mean, of all of the things they could roll out, why Jurassic Park? I think it's just because, once again, it's not a superhero movie because it's all that comes out now are superhero yeah. movies. But it is about fantasy. Yeah. You know, about living in a, uh, on a planet in a life that they'd rather live than the one we got going on currently. I guess. Yeah, but it didn't turn out so well in that Jurassic Park. No, it's <laughs> you know, it's, it didn't turn out good no. for the lawyer in the no. in the outhouse. <laughs> Exactly. Or maybe they're just replaying like some of the top grossing films. They are. Yeah, they are. Yeah. 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 But that, that's probably what it but is. Jurassic Park is one of the wor- the best grossing films of, of all time. time yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Indeed it is, and Spielberg's not the worst guy in the world. No. So that's, that's he nice always puts out good stuff. Seems to. He seems to. It's absolutely true. So now, you know what's so funny about this job, and of course my morning show job as well, you do a lot of research. I don't ever look at uh, look at stories ahead of time. I look at them when they're on the air. 
And trying to find a positive story is really hard to do. Except for I got I I had to I had to congratulate and pat on the back the Star Tribune this morning because they wrote an article that actually showed Minnesotans have uh, have have a long history of being much better to black people than anywhere else in America. Did you see that story? No, I didn't. It's a great story. As a matter of fact, uh, the story is initially about um, the Cedar Lake uh, oh, sure. Cemetery. Okay, you know the cemetery there at Cedar and, and Lake. That's what the story was written about. But when you go down the list and you 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 look at uh, all these different, I'm gonna say, well, where did it go? Oh, here you go. Old cemetery on Busy Lake Street hosts famous Minnesotans. Okay, so that's what drew me to it. I was like, I wonder who who's buried there, and it finds out. You find out if you read the story once they. And it, by the way, it takes them a while to get to who actually is buried there. Let's meet some of those who call this place home. William Goodridge was a former slave who became a prominent businessman and abolitionist in Pennsylvania. Goodridge's home in York, Pennsylvania, now a historic site. Starting with a barbershop in the 1820s, Goodridge built up a business empire that included retailing, freight delivery, real estate, and even a hair growth tonic. He was later a conductor on the Underground Railroad as he helped hide and transport fugitive slaves to freedom. Goodridge moved to Minneapolis in 1865, the year that slavery ended to join his daughter and her family. Wow. So he's there. Philander Prescott arrived at Fort Snelling in 1819, long before Minnesota was a territory. His many jobs included operating a store at Fort Snelling and trading post in Wisconsin that now bears his name. Uh, Charles Christmas was Hennepin County's first surveyor, elected in 1852, and Minneapolis wouldn't look like it does today were it not for him. Christmas is responsible for platting the area that became downtown Minneapolis at the behest of the land's owner at the time, uh, one guy owned all of the land where downtown Minneapolis is now. A guy named John Stevens. Isn't that amazing? Well, it, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, how many, how many uh, black people understand that a black man laid out Minneapolis? I know. Isn't it wonderful? John Cheatham, born into slavery in Missouri, became Minneapolis' first black firefighter. Oh, this is in the 1800s. 1888, he joined the fire department. That, I believe, was the year that, that any member of my family first came to America. It was in 1888 from Germany. So Minneapolis, with other black, fighters, uh, black firefighters, uh, was met with racist objections, though others in the public have supported him. He continued working there until he retired. So it's person after person after person buried Cedar Lake Cemetery, black people, uh, white people, obviously. But wow. why don't we ever talk, and we've been talking, uh, at least I guess I've been mentioning it a little bit, why don't we ever talk about the success of blacks in America? I know. You, you, you said we last week don't. we mentioned that. If you take the uh, wealth of the black population in America, it represents like number 17 of the GNP in the world. They do. Yep. Higher, higher than any of the African nations. Oh, by far. It's not even close. Any of the African nations. And it make, it's... I don't know. It, it, it just, you know, they, so they've been sad. able to do so well here, and there's so many opportunities. And, you know, and if you were go to go to a black employer and you're a black person that needs needs work, I have a tendency you'd get preferential treatment. I would hope you would. I would hope, yeah. yeah. But I've never heard of any of these people. No. Why have I never heard of any of these people? Because they don't, don't, I haven't mentioned them in history or they're, you know, and that may be a flaw of the history. Uh, you, heard, you do hear of some, like George Washington Carver, yeah, peanut guy. I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of people in black uh, black people in history that you have heard of, but yep. then, I mean, but 
how many white guys that uh, you know were firefighters do you hear about? How many uh, exactly? You know how many people who ran two stores do you hear? I mean, you just don't hear about that. So huge. We'll take a break. Got a special guest. Matter of fact, we're gonna hunt Whitey. Mm-hmm. Oh man, hunting Whitey. We're talking about Whitey Bulger. Though. Oh yeah, <laughs> Whitey. We'll be right back with the family. Tom Bernard here, and here with me is the CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, I was reading on your website about a customer near where I grew up, North Minneapolis. They were specifically looking for a community bank. That's right, Tommy, Prestige Products. They had been with another community bank, but when their bank was acquired by a large regional bank, the owner felt like they were just seeing his business for the numbers on the page and not really understanding his long-term plans. So we met with a number of community banks in the area, including us. Luke at our branch in Shoreview met with the owner. They hit it off, and Prestige Products chose to work with us. Incidentally, their favorite part of working with Luke is that he gets excited about the same things that are important to them. Having a clear understanding of your long-term goals makes for a great relationship and our difference maker for your business. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. 2020 never looks so good. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. With 2020 upon us, it's time to ditch the contacts and pitch the glasses. Take it from me. It's one of the best things you can do for yourself in the new year. I've never looked back from having LASIK myself. And with Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, you can trust you're amongst the best in the business. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. The great people at Whiting Clinic will take fantastic care of you, just like they did for me. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. Imagine 2020 or better in 2020. And let 2020 be your best year yet with LASIK at Whiting Clinic. LASIK results may vary. Talk to your Whiting Clinic doctor about your individual outcome potential. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Casey Sherman, Dave Wedge, how are you doing today, gentlemen? Good, thanks for having us. It's a, it's a, you know, it's really, it, the, the timing of it is fantastic because it's, uh, uh, by the way, the book, Hunting Whitey, the inside story of capturing and killing America's most wanted crime boss, a hell of a story starting off in uh, in uh, South Boston and uh, North Boston. He actually worked up there. A lot of people never, well, work. I don't, can you call it work, Casey and Dave? I, I, suppose, I don't suppose you can call what Whitey did work, can you? It was, it was night work is what it was. Yeah, about. it was night work. That's exactly right. But uh, it was so what was so funny about it is when I got the book, I opened the package a couple of days ago, and I pulled it out, you know, by the top. So by the time I got the name of the the book out, I'm like, "Hunting Whitey, is this a good topic for right now?" <laughs> it's a good time. <laughs> but I uh, very quick story, and then I'll shut up because I want to hear your take on this entire thing. But uh, Kevin Weeks just got out of prison. What about two years ago, something like that? Uh, he's been out for some time. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 we know Kevin. We've interviewed him in the past. Okay, so the reason I even bring him up is he put out a book, and we had him on this show when the book came out. So, God, it was longer than a couple of years ago, a few years ago now. But um, so Kevin came on the show, and I said, Kevin, to start the interview, I should tell you that I met you at a party in 1982 
and there was this long pause, and then he said, and I don't think he was kidding, he said, do you owe me money? <laughs> no, I Sounds do not. Sounds right. <laughs> it does sound right, doesn't it? I now want to be quiet and hear your take. Casey Sherman and Dave Wedge, the book is called Hunting Whitey. How would you guys get involved? Well, you know, we've covered the Whitey Bulger story for decades as journalists here in Boston, and Dave and I were never going to write a book about Whitey Bulger because we thought, you know, that's already been done. There have been several books. There have been at least two movies and a few other TV shows. And unless we could bring something completely new to the narrative, we were going to stay away. But then Whitey Bulger gets uh, mysteriously murdered in prison in 2018. And that's when we decided to say, okay, what are the missing gaps here? And we found that, you know, nobody had really understood what happened while Bulger was on the run for 16 years, what his life was like in prison, and what ultimately led to his murder. And, you know, we answer those, those questions in Hunting Whitey. You do answer all. See, that's what fascinates me so much. As I said, I just got the book a couple of days ago, and I was uh, paging through it. And I, I want to get deep into it because I'm, you know, Fourth of July coming up. I'm going to take the week off, and I'm going to carry Hunting Whitey with me and, and read the book because, you know, having studied this for so long. Do you, Casey and Dave? Let me ask you a question. I I make the comments because I also do a morning show. We should have you on the morning show as well too because as a big audience, as well. But um. You know, you kind of look at all this stuff and, and these great books that come out and then people kind of move stuff around. But as you, as you pointed out, you both Boston reporters, you were there. And by the way, you guys going to get the Red Sox this year? Or do you think that'll happen? <laughs> who knows? Yeah, who knows at this point. But in any case, following the Whitey Bulger situation, I mean, he did things that nobody had ever done before. His brother, of course, what was his brother's position again in the government? So his brother was the uh, president president of the Massachusetts Senate, which um, at the time and, and still today is, is you know one of the most powerful positions in Massachusetts politics. Isn't that amazing? That that happens. I mean, we have had police chiefs in Minneapolis. Uh, St. Paul, whose brothers ended up in prison for life. It's, it's so fascinating to me. You know, the, the, the good guy, bad guy thing is very, very well defined in some families, I guess. Just the way it is. How, right. does, it, how does a guy like Whitey Bulger get to where he got? How did he get involved in the first place? Well, you know, Bulger uh, grew up in South Boston with his brother Billy. And, you know, to say one uh, brother was bad and the other one was good... What we find out in uh, Hunting with Whitey is that, you know, there are shades of gray in, in both lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, without a Whitey Bulger, there wouldn't have been the uh, um, legendary politician of Billy Bulger and vice versa. Right. But Whitey Bulger was, uh, he grew up in, in South Boston, which obviously is a very tough section of the city. And he was kind of a two-bit gangster and uh, bank robber in the late 50s and, and early 60s. And now, living in Boston... You know, back then, your childhood hero was probably Ted Williams or Eddie Shore for the villains. Sure. But Woody Bulger was fascinated by Bonnie and Clive, John Dillinger. He loved that part of the American ethos. And that's really what, uh, you know, those those were his cult heroes, and he wanted to be just like them. And he started knocking over banks while he was a a teenager in in his early 20s, ended up in federal prison, including Alcatraz. And then was released, and uh, at the time he was released, 
Um, there had already been a, a bloody mob war in, on the streets of Boston where 57 men were killed in a two-and-a-half-year period. Now, that's never happened in any gang war in American history. But by the time Bloody Bulger's on the street, he really fills that power void in the city of Boston. And then he, you know, cuddles up with the FBI and the rest is history. Right. Yeah, that 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 was fascinating. That it, you talk about a guy that was playing all sides of uh, of any argument, man. He he definitely did that. There's no question about that. Do you think? Because I speculated this morning, we were talking about you know gang bangers in America and all the rest of it, and why this big surge came and blah blah blah. I do believe, although it's my favorite movie of all time. That so many people, and maybe Whitey Bulger was another one of them, but in 1971, 72, whatever year it was, saw this movie, and and gangsters looked so wonderful, although they were murderers in the movie, people didn't take that away from the movie. They thought, man, these guys are rich, and they are got beautiful women, and they got, they got everything. Do you think that movie kind of triggered something in American brains that kind of went, well, well, that's what I want to do? Now, Whitey was around before that, but... Uh, you know, to, to glorify, and I don't know that, you know, Mario Puzo wanted to glorify gangsterism, but it did, whether he wanted to or not. Well, I think that's always been a, a narrative in American culture is the fascination with the gangster. You know, my, yeah. my favorite scene in Scarface is, you know, when he's drunk in the restaurant, he's leaving, and he says, everybody say hi to the bad guy, you know? And, and I think <laughs> right. in American, you know, everyone say, say goodnight to the bad guy. You know, every, everyone really, you know, we love to explore that culture, you know, Sopranos, you know, we, we, we yeah. love to get in, you know, Sopranos is great because, you know, they're kind of a regular family, except that the guy's a serial killing mobster, you know, so, <laughs> right. um, and, but I, you know, in relation to Whitey Bulger, I mean, you know, Bulger uh, formed his career, as Casey said, you know, th- his heroes were those Bonnie and Clyde, John Dillinger, right. early gangsters, and he went to Alcatraz, and that's kind of his Harvard, where he really learned how to be an arch criminal. Um, and, you know, Bulger always talked about that. We have access to over 70 letters that Bulger himself wrote in this book, and he talks extensively about his time at Alcatraz and how much he revered that time and how pr- he was proud of his time at Alcatraz. So um, he, he, you know, whether he, he personally watched those movies and took pointers from it, I can only assume he did, because what we do know, and we learned from writing this book, is that he was a student of crime, and mm-hmm. he was also a student of how to be a fugitive. So... He did his homework, Buddy Bulger. Is he a really was he a really bright man, really smart guy? Yeah, he was, and I think that's what probably elevates him even higher than mm-hmm. the Al Capones of the world. Is you know, Buddy Bulger had been planning for his own escape, you know, for years before he did it in 1994, and he remained on the run from the FBI for 16 years ultimately becoming elevated to America's most wanted fugitive. And kind of going back to the lore and mythology of gangsterism, you know, Bulger at one point, while he was a fugitive, was even willing to jeopardize his own freedom by sneaking into a movie theater and watching The Departed, which was a fictionalized version of his own life of crime. Right. And he almost got caught. Oh, he did? How did did it? So he didn't, not a great disguise, huh? No, no, not, not a great disguise. What he, what he didn't know at the time was that there was a, a cop from Boston who rose behind him in the movie theater. So it was this, you know, totally meta scene in our book where it's life-imitating art. Bulger's watching, you know, the fictionalized uh, version of himself on the screen, shaking his head at some scenes in disagreement, laughing at others, 
all the while this uh, off-duty cop is, is watching him like a hawk. hawk. Unfortunately, the off-duty cop was not armed at the time, but Bulger was, and that was why Bulger was able to narrowly escape and remain on the run for another decade. Do you think it, you have to have a disdain for humanity to do the things that, uh, you know, Al Capone did, that Whitey Bulger did? Do you have to not? I mean, because obviously several people died and they just never cared. So they, I'm assuming they didn't really care much about humanity anyway. Well, one of the things that, that we uh, were able to really drill down upon in, in this book is, you know, we, we wanted to deconstruct the, the myth of Whitey Bulger, but what we were able to highlight in this book is, is that he did have this dichotomy where he was a ruthless serial killer. Make no mistake about it. He killed at least 19 people. Mm-hmm. The numbers probably double or triple that. But he also uh, did have this soft side, and we get into it in his life on the run, where he befriended a family down in... Louisiana, and uh, he, he, you know, really took this young man under his wing, and they had um, animals and pets that, that Bulger was really fond of, to the point where he couldn't even stomach the thought of one of the puppies that they had having to be euthanized because it was sick. So here's this guy that has no problem pulling up teeth and strangling women, but he can't stomach the sight of a, of a puppy being euthanized. So um, Bulger was a very complex person. Him and his brother were extremely intelligent. Um, but he's kind of a classic uh, sociopath in that uh, he he was able to compartmentalize his gruesome crimes from the rest of his life. God, what a story this is. You guys, how long did it take you to write the book? It took us uh, a year and a half to write and research it. And quite frankly, you know, we it's the first time that uh, any writer has had exclusive access to the FBI investigation. So we fill in all of them the gaps of what Bulger's life was like while he was on the run. We take the reader into the prison cell with Woody Bulger, where Bulger was almost assassinated, uh, you know, right after he was convicted and first put behind bars. Right. And then we take the uh, reader into the jail cell on the day that Bulger was actually murdered. And we, uh, you know, we corresponded with the lead suspect in Bulger's murder himself. And this is a mobster from Massachusetts who was writing us letters in a rubber-tipped pencil because the guards wouldn't give him anything sharp because they were afraid that he'd either stab himself or he'd do harm to somebody else. Yeah, that makes total sense. Total sense to me. Great, great subject. Hunting Whitey, the inside story of capture and killing of America's most wanted crime boss, Casey Sherman and Dave Wedge. I cannot wait for my vacation to read Hunting Whitey. I appreciate your time today, gentlemen. Thank you. We appreciate it. We'll be back with the family. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. 
Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is an equal opportunity employer. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. I was just telling everybody off the air that um, do yourself a favor and do not see Capone with Tom Hardy, even though I love Tom Hardy as an actor. I think he's a tremendous talent. That was one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. And if we had a bit more time with Casey and Dave, I would have told them, run the other way. But uh, Whitey Bulger. God, isn't that amazing that people will take great intelligence? And Andy, let me ask you a question. Well, actually, this is for Doc and Andy. So, so the mental illness takes uh, takes first place among all other things, doesn't it? Absolutely. So you're it's first you're mentally ill, then whatever you are after that, intelligent, mm-hmm. well read, whatever, it's all affected by the fact that you're flat out nuts. It, I mean, if you're sufficiently crazy, then yes, definitely, you know. I would say to kill 55 people, you got to be pretty nuts. Yeah, I would say so. Well, I mean, a good example of this, I mean, she wasn't, like, nuts nuts, but I had a conversation with a schizophrenic girl a couple years back, and I asked her, um, because she most of the time was, you know, she was all there and she was relatively intelligent and everything, and I asked her, I said, when you're hallucinating, do you know whether or not you're hallucinating? And she said, if the hallucinations are sufficiently real, then no. Like, for example, if, you know, if I hallucinated a lamp on the table, I wouldn't know whether or not it's real until I go to try to touch it. But if she, if she was to hallucinate, like, you know, she would see, like, sometimes just, like, wild animals in her room. Oh, yeah. And about me? Yes. Oh, by the way, she announced the fact that COVID Kathy's here or something. Mm. You were wearing a mask when you came in. They no. said to wear a mask on they the did. front door, so I'm just Good not. For them. I'm trying to no stay off here people's anyway. radar. <laughs> okay. I just don't like being on anybody's radar. I understand. I've learned today on Twitter that you're a blowhard. <laughs> Why? Who said I was a blowhard? I follow this person called Governor Tim Wald's lies, mm. and she's usually uh, I'm, I I really like mostly what she says but apparently you said that everybody from atlanta is racist i did not yeah, from the south south southern people are racist i never said that you said it isn't that amazing that people <laughs> say you said something i never said that yeah i wonder where she got that idea I don't know. But you are a blowhard. That's well, yeah, I mean, the radio. You, you can't take that away from me. I am a blowhard. You don't have a job unless you're a blowhard. Really? I mean, that's what that's. When did she think I said, said people? Everybody, everybody from she Atlanta to South. Is she, she living in Atlanta? No, she's from here. Well, how the hell would she know then? Maybe she. Oh, she did live in Atlanta. Well, she lived there. Yes. So, and she says Minnesotans are much more racist than not, people Not in even close. See, ah, once see? Again, oh, there it is. There's Fine. the argument. <laughs> I, I'm telling you flat out, Minnesotans are the least racist people in all of America. And there is a great story, again, tip of the cap to the Star Tribune, about black people coming to Minnesota in the 1800s and succeeding mightily. 
I would say that Minnesotans are very closed. They as far as they're very That's clicky, yeah. they have a tendency to have the same friends that they had in junior high or even elementary school, and they never move. Well, look at me. Yeah. I met Alex Gerard when I was, what, 12 years old, and he's been my only friend since. Yep. Well, it's, well, you've had other friends, but anyway. Well, not really. <laughs> friend, friend. Real friends. Yeah, exactly. Real friends. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's just, Minnesotans have a tendency to kind of just, um, and I think it's because of the climate. It's so flipping cold here. It's not like yeah. everybody's just running around doing all kinds yeah. of different stuff. But that's true. With that being said, when was the lynching of the three black men in Duluth? Duluth? I was uh, in, that was uh, in 1910, I think, 10, somewhere yeah, around yeah, a while okay. ago. And that was some was sort of uh, uh, false accusation, right? Uh, they didn't do something Yeah, they said they, they were circus workers. They were not slaves. They were circus workers. Oh, okay. I don't think and, there were slaves in 1910, so. No. Yeah, 1910. Well, there, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, that, that, that wasn't the situation. They, it, they were circus workers, and they were accused of raping and, mur- I think, murdering a woman. Ooh. And it turned out that they didn't do it. Hashtag me too. Oh. I mean, there are some phenomenally racist people. There's no yeah. question. No matter where well, you no matter, go. Yeah, you're never going to go to any state and have Shangri-La. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. That, well, that's – and that's the, like the whole, whole point is, <laughs> yeah. you know, when I did my leadership in Minneapolis, of course, we did – there was a thing on racism. And they said, they said, everybody's racist. Accept the fact that you're racist. You are going to prefer to be around white people, your culture, your socioeconomic background, people that have grown up like you. You're, that's part of it. But what your point is to try to reduce that to the amount where you're not acting out on people. You're not denying them rights. You're not right, thinking right. they shouldn't be doing that, blah, 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 blah. But you're always going to prefer, you know, I'm, 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 most of my friends, they grew up, you know, pretty simple. One was a steel worker. Um, mm-hmm. Your mom worked in a worked in a Diner. Diner, Diner all, yeah. all her life. Yep. And uh, Tom Oslin, uh, friend, yep. he, his dad was a plumber. No, right. was a plumber. He, they were, they, they were uh, craftspeople. So they, they came from an entirely different background, and that's what you gravitate to. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I've never thought of this before. I've never even considered it before, but I have still lots of black friends. And it's not that I seek them out. It's just, I guess, what I'm comfortable with, right? That's right. They That's how pro- I grew up. They may very well have come from the same means as you. It's a, it, and, yeah, most of them you did. Know, you know, we, I you mean, they all did. You mentioned that on Saturday. It's a, it's a money thing. It's a wealth thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You know, if you're not wealthy, you know, you're kind of you're shunned by people who, of any kind of means. Well, just because I was the only diverse member at that certain goal. Oh, God. Club. Well, that's right. You re- represent the diversity for that. But that you've that, heard that story, haven't you? Yeah. Well, that's uh, yeah. Saturday. You know, well, so, Saturday I told you. That's so right. that's that's a a real thing that there is, and those pe- And if you look, you know, if you look at this, and my kids used to go to a to a private school, and the kids was kind of break down into four click groups. The, yeah. The rich yeah. Christians, the rich Jews. The you know middle income Christians, middle income Jews, yeah, and that's true. how it sort of it broke down because it was that's you, you know, felt most comfortable. Around they that. probably go to the same church or the same synagogue, and they just they there might no family members. I mean, Minnesota's a very small society as yeah. far as oh, you know, we don't no have, yeah. people that. know each other. It's it's hard to not go someplace and run into somebody you know here. Well, just, you know, isn't. And I talked to, like, William about it and Rashawn and several other friends. They say that I don't – I'm not like other white people. And it's not that I, you know – You're not like anybody. Well, honey. that's probably true. <laughs> but, 
but they and they tell me that that's why I have such such a problem with the media is because I'm not a normal white guy. It's not like I act black or anything. That's not what they're talking about. It's just I don't act like a Minnesota white guy, and they don't like that. Which I suppose it makes sense. Yeah. Black people go, yeah, whatever, you do whatever you want. But but white people are very uncomfortable with the way I act. I, mean, I guess it's way too aggressive for them. Do you think that's probably true? More East Coast. Yeah, that's what a lot of people think. I'm from like Boston or New York or whatever. Even though I don't have an accent, they they just think I'm one of those city and, guys. You know, I get that same. And, and I, there's yeah, a, I can see that. There's, there's, there's a, it, it has, and it's it's it, it's just how you grew up, and it's just a, an assertiveness that people here are uncomfortable with. You know, or uh, yeah, they don't like not it. a passive aggressive way, but just you're just you're just not passive aggressive. You're just right out there, and right passive aggressiveness in black people, man, that's an unusual thing. I've never get. seen it actually. I don't yeah. think I've ever even seen yeah. passive you know, aggressive. Yeah. Try, try being a straightforward you, female in this yeah. state. Well, I suppose, yeah, that's <laughs> probably true. that's and a little hard. I know, you know, you know, you, it's you know, crazy. If you look off, you lip, you lip off to somebody who's not passive aggressive, you get your job busted for. Yeah. You. Yeah. I mean, they're not, they're not going to – no, they're just going to act out. Right. You know, and that's that's just the way the way some people yeah. are. It's just like, you know, you honk your horn at people that are cutting you off or not obeying the, the traffic rules in in on the East Coast. Yeah. In Minnesota, if you honk at somebody – they they go insane. They, they go act like nuts. You, they act like you've just murdered their parents. <laughs> it's true. It's they like, do. Or man, you just Calm ran a stop sign. Beep. Okay. Yeah, Acknowledge it. It's true. Get over it. I don't know. I, but it's interesting it, it, getting different takes from people. You know, from from rich people, poor people, white people, black people, Spanish people. You get a different reaction from a lot of a lot of people. I had a person that that got mad at me because. I was talking on the morning show yesterday about, I can't remember who the hell I said, but somebody made some comment, and I said, well, they can kiss my living ass. I don't care about that. And then I was asked, why do you feel that way? And I said, because I'm not getting on my knees for anybody. It's just not going to happen. And then I said, no, that's not true. I would get on my knees to help my family. But that's it. And that's a fact. I won't do it. And that pisses off a lot of people because kissing ass in Minnesota is a huge thing. It is. Kissing ass is huge it's, it's in Minnesota. It's one of the cultural things that I'm not real fond it's of. It's the here. one thing that drives me crazy. It's, yeah. And it's why they get so pissed off at me no, because part, I just won't do it. And that's the first step in your passive aggressive behavior. Yep. You know, you, it you, is, yeah. You know, you're, you're bowing down to somebody, you're getting this sort of stuff, but then you resent that in the background. Yep. So you're going to do something. It's, it, that's what that yeah. is. Yeah. Then you go do something weird elsewhere. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Once you get a hold a of that woman on Twitter, let's have her on as a guest in the second hour. Blow hard my ass, sister. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Is she a black she woman? She didn't call woman? you a blowhard. Yes, she did. Jenna, just, oh, we'll them. take a break. We'll come back. Oh, we'll come back and we'll find out what she actually did say right after go. this. <laughs>